Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to lesson. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And have harmony in the home. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 54, How to Get Our Kids to Calm Down. Holy moly donut shop. Lily says that all the time. And so the other day I asked all of you, because this is really our podcast, so I need your help and I need your input. And I love when you tell me what your biggest takeaway was, because then I can give you more of that for future episodes. And I love asking you on Facebook for your opinions, suggestions, polls, what are your pain points? What are your struggles? I'm constantly pulling the audience, so to speak. I feel like I'm in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, that, that game show. And so I asked you the other day, and you were so helpful, help me brainstorm what are some basic things that we teach our kids to do, like potty training, riding a bike, reading, changing a tire, etc. And you all delivered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments. And I mean hundreds between Instagram stories, Facebook stories, and then on Facebook and on email. Whoo, doggy, you guys delivered. So I just want to remind you that when you're teaching something to a child, they all have the same kind of flow, so to speak the same step-by-step process. And so some of the things that you all came up with, and if I read all of these, I would be at podcast episode 100 by the time I finished because there were so many of them. So I'm going to randomly read some of them so you can kind of think about how you're going to teach your kids how to do some of these things. I don't want to overwhelm you. I just want to get your brain percolating and thinking about these different things that we're teaching our kids. And remember, we're teaching our kids different things for different ages and stages. What you teach a two-year-old is not what you're going to teach a 12-year-old. So you always want to have it on the gradient. And that's why on the podcast, I try to give you all the suggestions and then empower you to help your child. Because who is your child's expert? Not Kelly Hutchison. It is Y-O-U. You know your child best. I want to give you the empowerment to know and make these choices for your child, for your home, and for your four walls. So I'm always asking myself, when someone asks me my opinion, I always just say, I I feel like I'm Dr. Phil sometimes. I'll say, how's that working for you? If it's working in your home, then guess what? It's working in your home. If it's not working in your home, then it's not working in your home. So we have to change something up. So what works in one home isn't going to work in another home. What works for one child is going to work for all the children. So that's why I really encourage parents not to do the compare and despair because comparison is the thief of joy. There are a hundred right ways to raise a child. There's a hundred right ways to love a child. 
So you have to do what is best for your house, your four walls. And best of all, the best way to grade that is how are you sleeping at night? If you're sleeping with lots of mommy guilt, then that is just a little tip, 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 tap, 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 tap on your ego to maybe think like, huh, maybe we should try something else because nothing changes if nothing changes. So if you feel like it's Groundhog's Day, your brain is going to like Groundhog's Day because it likes the same old, same old. It doesn't like to change. Remember that. But when the pain becomes bigger, then the brain's like, all right, we need to get some relief here. So how are we going to choose pain so we can have pleasure later? It's that pain pleasure triad. When you choose pain, then the pleasure comes later. When we're always choosing pleasure first, then the pain always follows. Always. The last probably four or five episodes, that's all I talked about. And I gave so many different examples. So if you haven't listened to those yet, the pain versus pleasure, pleasure versus pain, how the brain works, it will help you so much. And you can apply this into your parenting. And so when I asked you for the list of all the things, you came up with things like laundry, doing dishes, balancing a checkbook, how to empty the dishwasher, ironing clothes, manners, checking the oil, making a bed, personal hygiene, like brushing their hair, brushing their teeth, how to clean, how to swim, manners, empathy, feeding the animals, saving money, their ABCs, snapping, tying shoes, teaching them how to pray. I love that one, Lori. How to greet someone, shaking hands, making their lunch, cooking, respecting elders, washing hands, drive, putting on a coat, drinking from a cup, how to wash themselves, unloading the dishwasher, eye contact, not interrupting, writing thank you notes, how to tell time, cutting food with a fork and a knife, holding a pencil, apply for a job, hammering the nails, how to mail a letter, walking in line, waiting in line, talking, being quiet in different situations, showing respect. It goes on and on and on. Now, why did I take the time to show you all those different things? Because when you are teaching any of those things, how do we teach them? Do you know that the Google says that it takes 10,000 hours to master a skill? 10,000 hours, which is roughly nine years if you're doing it five days a week, four hours a day. Another article says it takes about six months or more to develop a skill. How do we teach a new skill? When it's something like riding our bike, tying our shoes, teaching them how to drive, what do we do? We do it for them. Then we do it with them. And then we let them practice. We do it for them. We do it with them. And then we let them practice. So like when I was teaching handwriting in first grade, I would show them on the board. So I would model it for them. I would do it for them. Let's just say the cat likes to run. I was using my overhead projector and I was showing them, okay, boys and girls at the T, you're going to start in the air, start on this line. You're going to pull straight down and then you're going to cross the T on the line. Then you're going to pick up your pencil and then you're going to start at the top line. You're going to go to the bottom line 
And then you're going to do a little horseshoe up to the dotted line. And then I would show them how to do the E. And the E was so hard because they kind of had to float. And I would always say, don't go up in the air. That means above the line. And don't go underground because your pencil will start to shake because it doesn't like to go in the basement and it doesn't like to go in the attic. So I tried to make it fun and I did it for them as they watched me. Then I would do it with them. Okay, boys and girls, now we're going to do the word the together. And then I would trace over what I had already done while they're doing it for the first time. And they're doing it with me. And while they're doing it with me, I'm walking around. And then I put my hand over their hand. And then I'm reinforcing like, whoa, look at that line. It's like straight as a ruler. Did you use a ruler on that T? I think you did. Are you cheating? Do you have a ruler in your pencil box? So I was kind of making it fun. So I did it for them. Then I did it with them. And then the kids who were struggling, I might write the word the in a highlighter marker and then they trace over it. And then I might put my hand over their hand so they can see how it feels to write the word the. And then I let them practice and I let them practice and I let them practice some more. Mrs. Letieri would always say on the news every day, practice makes permanent because we don't want to teach the kids practice makes perfect because that P word is a bad word because it puts a lot of pressure on kids and on parents. So we say practice makes permanent. So we do it for them. We do it with them. And then we let them practice. That works for if you're teaching them how to tie their shoes, you show them, then you do it with them, and then you let them practice. Think of the stages that you'd go through when you're teaching a kid how to ride a bike. First, there's the hot wheel where they're real low to the ground. Then they get training wheels. Then you're holding the back of the seat while running behind. Then you're running alongside of them. Then you're running further behind. Then you're standing in the parking lot while they zoom around. Then you're in the driveway and the chair is watching them. Then they're biking on their own for the most part. But guess what? They still fall and that's okay. Because in that practice stage, they need lots and lots of practice. And when they fall down, we don't yell at them and scream at them. We help them up and we rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat 10,000 hours. Do you know how long that is? That is their whole life. So there is no destination. It's a constant journey. You do it for them. You do it with them. And then you let them practice. And then you let them practice some more. So if this is what we do when we're teaching them how to, let's say, drive, that's another good example. I love tangible examples. And I know you do, too. Let's see, we're teaching them how to drive. My kids are 12 and nine. They are now, I'm teaching them how to drive by doing it for them. And they are watching a lot. As soon as we get in the car, oh, there goes my phone, goes in the glove compartment, no phone zone, goes in the console, can't check it at red lights. I'm not saying this is how you should drive. I'm just showing them and showing them and showing them. There's so much modeling and showing going on. What do I do when someone cuts me off? What do I do when someone takes my parking spot? What do I do about my blinker? Do I turn it on real early? Or do I turn on real light, real late? What do I do about stale greens? What do I do about when the light's yellow? Do I run the light or do I, I'm always talking out loud. So I'm not saying this is how you drive, but they're just constantly watching and picking up by osmosis. They're picking up organically. They're picking up unconsciously. So much of our teaching is done unconsciously because they're constantly watching us because they don't know any different. So they're just like monkey see, monkey do, and they're always watching us. 
And then when Lily and Grady are 15, God help us, they will get their driver's permit. And then I'm going to go in the passenger seat. And David's going to go in the passenger seat. And then we're going to do it with them. We're going to be like, turn on the blinker now. No, you need a break. Don't turn so fast. You got to slow down. That is going to make my hair turn gray. But when we get to that point, I'm going to do it with them. David's going to do it with them. So we did it for them for 15 years at age 15. Then we're going to do it with them. And then at 16, they get to do it and practice and practice and practice and practice. So when we're talking about all the things that we need to teach our kids, you know where this is going. You know where this is going. We need to teach them what to do with their emotions when they don't know what to do with them. And every child is different, so it's not one size fits all. What helps Lily calm down is very different than what helps Grady calm down. I had 20 to 25 first grade students, and I had 25 different ways that they were calming down. But I had to do it for them. So that's modeling. What does mom do when she's stressed? What does mom do when she breaks a vase? What does mom do when she has too many emails? What does mom do when she's overwhelmed with laundry? What does mom do when she's disappointed when a friend let her down? What does mom do? What does dad do? I sound like Woody Woodpecker. So you're constantly doing it for them to show them what to do with negative emotions. And I don't even like to call them negative. What do you do with the complex, tricky emotions? What does mom do? What does dad dad do? That is the best line of teaching you can give them. Then we do it with them. So that's guided. We help them through the storms. We don't add fuel to the fire. We don't tell them to stop. Just like if we're teaching them how to tie shoes and they do it wrong, we don't tell them to stop. You're doing it wrong. You're a BRAT. Go to your room. Go to timeout. Leave me alone. Go away. That's not teaching them anything. We have to teach them what to do with complex emotions because they have no idea. They don't come out of the womb knowing. So what they do is they act really hot or they act really cool. And really hot is the aggression that you see in some kids, the hitting, the spitting, the name calling, the crazy loud tantrums of just screaming where their veins are popping out of their neck and their face is turning red. When you see that, all it means is that they need strategies of what to do to calm down. Not in that moment. When they're in the red zone, literally in the red zone, when their face is bright red and their veins are popping out of their neck, you D-N-E, you do not engage as far as you do not consequence them. You don't lecture them. You don't argue with them. You don't teach them why they should stop. That is all done during calm waters. This is a proactive way of parenting versus reactive. Because in the storm, when they're seeing red, your only job is to hold the space and help them get out of the burning building. They are in fire. D-N-E, do not engage in consequencing and teaching them in that moment because they are in the red zone. They can't think clearly. Remember, they're drunk on emotion, so you have to sober them up. This is huge. It's very hard to see your kids struggling that much. It's very hard to see them so upset because especially we don't understand why they're upset. The reason why they're upset is age appropriate to their age. Just like I couldn't understand when my first graders couldn't write the letter E, it was age appropriate that they couldn't write the E or they were writing the E backwards. Nothing has gone wrong when your kids act hot. It is just data for you. Some kids act super cold when they're upset. 
where they feel sorry for themselves. They pout. No one loves me. I'm the worst kid ever. Everybody hates me. That's acting very cold. Some kids act hot. Some kids act cold. Some kids do a combination of both. Sometimes at the same time. Some days they act real hot all day and some days they act cold all day. So you don't have a child who acts either hot or cold. You have a child that is expressing their emotions and don't have enough strategies so they flip out because they are so drunk and they don't know how to sober themselves up. So how do they learn how to sober themselves up? They sober themselves up just like we teach them to tie the shoes. We do it for them. So we model it for them. We do it with them. So when they're in that red zone, we're holding the space and then we let them practice. When they strike out, when they get the F, when they can't make the E, when they get in trouble at school, when they disappoint a friend, that is all practice for them. This is part of the human experience. We want to normalize this as much as humanly possible for them. We do not want to push it away. We don't want them to stuff it away. We don't want them to go to time out it away. Because then they are going to equate complex emotions with something is wrong with me, something is bad, something's gone wrong. When everything is NBD, no big deal on our end, then we hold the space and let them know this is completely normal. So teaching them strategies during calm waters is very important. I have a checklist here that I'm going to post in the show notes of how can you help me calm down. This is fabulous list that you can make your own. If your kids are younger, they cannot fill this out. But it's a good idea to watch them to see what they do when they get upset to help themselves calm down. So then you know what to pull from when you're helping them with strategies. You don't want to teach them all at once. You want to teach them in stages and age appropriate. Remember, 10,000 hours. This is a journey, not a destination. I'm 45. I'm still on the journey of knowing what to do with to manage my emotions. But managing emotions is more important than balancing a checkbook and keeping a house clean and tying their shoes. Because if you teach them how to manage their emotions and that all emotions are normal, then tying the shoes, playing baseball, making the bed, cooking, whatever you're trying to teach them is so much easier. It's the basis for everything. It should be taught as early as they're born. It should be taught in every single class. It should be a class taken in middle and high school. It should be an elective in college because the journey and the learning never stops. So this list gives them choices of, I have 20 and you can modify this. I'll make it in Excel. So you can modify it. You can change things. You can add things. You can delete things. So you give this to a child to help them, to help you know what they need to help them calm down. And Grady reminded me of this checklist and they have a gradient scale where they can say, always do this, sometimes do this, never do this. So things like give me time and space. Should I always do that? Sometimes do this or never do this? Help me or put your arm around me. Always, sometimes, never. Help me with my breathing. Always, sometimes, never. Ignore me. Always, sometimes, never. Play Christian music. Always, sometimes, never. Hold the space for me. Always, sometimes, never. Talk to me calmly, always, sometimes, never. Tell me something funny, always, something, never. And it's different. Even for my two kids, I had them fill this out and it was completely different. But it was so helpful to know that like Grady, when he's in the red zone, he likes me to make him laugh, to kind of poke his belly or change the subject 
because he needs to get the aggression and the sadness or whatever he's feeling out in a different way. If I start doing that to Lily, it makes it's like gas on the fire. It's like me giving her another drink and she's already drunk on emotion. Give me my stuffed animal. That works for Lily. Doesn't work for Grady. I was surprised that still worked for Lily. She said it doesn't help when I do it, but it helps when Grady does it. I was like, oh, that's interesting. So everything's just very fascinating. And also everything is just data collection. And then during Calm Waters, you can teach them things like making the soup where when they're younger, you do a lot of role playing, a lot of stuffed animals, a lot of sitting down. What does mommy do when she's upset? You do it for them. You do it with them. And then they practice and then they practice and then they practice. And when they get upset, you're going to get excited because you're like, oh, this is a great time to practice. So the steps when they're in the tantrum is to detach, meaning you're detaching the ego so you can attach at the heart level. Your child is having a hard time not giving you a hard time. This is a great chance to teach them about emotional literacy. Then you're going to label the emotion. If they're older, you can give them a choice between two emotions. You seem like you're feeling overwhelmed. Or if they're older, are you overwhelmed? Or are you angry? The smaller they are, the smaller emotions you use. Happy, sad, mad, glad. See how this is all age appropriate? Then you're going to normalize the emotion. I felt that way too. I know how you feel. Sometimes I feel that way sometimes too. Those things like that, very, very healing and very calming because all you want to do is diffuse the situation because you're completely detached. This child doesn't belong to you in this moment. This child's having a hard time not giving you a hard time. And then when you get to the support stage, you say, you give them a choice of two. So with Lily, I might say, do you need help calming down or do you want to calm down by yourself? With Grady, when he was younger, I would say, do you want to make soup or do you want to count your name backwards? Or I might say, remember, only two choices because they are feeling very out of control. So then when you're giving them the reins to their life and their power back, they're like, I want to make soup. I want to count my name backwards. I mean, I want to say my name backwards. Some kids, they're still very drunk. And so when you try to talk to them, it actually makes it worse. So you can say things like, I'm calming. I'm going to stay calm to help you stay calm. I'm here when you need me. I'm here when you're ready to calm down. I'm here to chat. Do you want to calm down by yourself or do you need my help? Do you want to go to your room to calm down or do you want to go to the playroom? So if they're not into you chatting with them and they need space, you can give them space and let them choose where they need the space. So I love this song that I taught with my first graders and when I was a counselor. It was always talking about hot and cold emotions, like the real hot ones when it's like all that aggression and then real cold where it's like no one loves me and feel sorry for myself. Completely normal, both of them. They can have a combination. They can be one more than the other. My kids, probably one shows one more than the other and then the other shows the other more, but they definitely intertwine. I would say it's 75-25. 75, one is really hot and then sometimes cold. And then the other one is 75 cold and then sometimes 25 hot. No big deal either way. It's just data, just information. Now, remember, this podcast is called Harmony in the Home. It is not called Kumbaya in the Home. It is not called Unicorn in the Home. It is not called Perfection in the Home. We want the complex emotions to happen as much as humanly possible. We don't want to create them, but when they happen, 
Everything is NBD. No big deal. I'm going to stay calm to help you stay calm over and over and over because they are drunk on emotion and they don't know how to sober up. So we, what are we going to do? We're going to do it for them by modeling it. What does mom do when she's stressed? We're going to do it with them when they're in the messy moment. We're going to get them out of the burning building. We're going to sober them up with their, with our calmness. And then we're going to let them practice. And practice happens as they're older and they're away from us. And so we used to sing a song and I don't really want to sing it, but I want to teach you how it goes. So I'm going to attempt this. So just turn this part of the podcast down very low because I could break your windows if you're driving the car. Okay. It's called the Be Cool song. Don't be hot. Don't blow up. (laughs) I can't stop laughing. Don't get cold. Don't give up. (laughs) I can't stop laughing. Just remember to be cool. Looking, thinking, acting cool. Calm your body. Make a choice. Stay controlled. Use your voice. Take deep breaths. One, two, three. Glasses on now. That's the key. And then we had sunglasses and everybody put them on at the same time. And we say, we're cool because you don't want to get hot. You don't want to get cold, but you want to be cool right in the middle. Okay. So when you're teaching that to the kids, it's important to show them what hot looks like. It's important to show them what cold looks like. So they're like, oh yeah, I know what that's like. Yeah. I do that sometimes. Oh yeah, that's me. But this is all taught during calm waters. This is more important than tying their shoes, teaching them about hot and cold emotions and how to be cool. Nothing more important in my opinion. Because then you have a child who knows what to do with those emotions and they're not storming and tantruming and getting so drunk on emotions that they can't even sober up even if you try. And so I'm going to give you also a list of different strategies of what to do, what you can teach them. Sometimes drinking water is very helpful. Singing out loud like that song. So I might give them a choice. Do you want to sing the Be Cool song or do you want to sing your ABCs? My kids are older, so I might say, do you want to go into your room to calm down or do you want to chat about it? Sometimes painting, jumping rope, jumping high, blowing bubbles, taking a hot bath. I'm going to give you a list of 50. Do you teach all 50 at once? No, just like you don't teach all the reading strategies all at once. 10,000 hours. This is a journey, not a destination. And there is no destination. There is no day that every child knows how to handle all the emotions. You know why? Because I'm 45 and I still haven't had those days where I can handle all the negative emotions and all the complex emotions. It's a constant work in progress. But kids absorb this easier because they don't know any different. So the more that we can normalize it, the less we're pushing that away and making them be happy all the time because they don't have to be happy all the time, nor can they be. When we put pressure on them to be happy all the time, they actually act out more because it's too much pressure. And then they're holding that beach ball underneath water and they're about to burst at all times. So this skill, just like tying the shoes, just like teaching them to drive, just like teaching them to ride a bike, just like teaching them to read, just like teaching them to write, you give them lots of strategies and then they pull from and they use their favorites. When I'm teaching my kids how to subtract 14 from nine when they were younger, I would teach them many different ways because the way I do it, the way David does it, the way Lily does it, the way Grady does it, we all do it a different way. Some people count backwards, 14, 13, and then they take the difference. Some people count up from nine and they count, take the difference. Some people turn the nine into a 10, subtract it, and then add one to their answer. Some people have it memorized where they don't even have to think about it. Some people draw pictures and then cross them out. Some people use M&Ms and then eat them, eat the nine M&Ms. 
So all of these strategies are taught during calm waters. And then when they're independently practicing and they get to 14 takeaway nine, they can choose whatever strategy they want. And that's when you watch your kids like they're zoo animals. You watch them and you stalk them almost to see what they do and what they gravitate towards. So then you take that as data and you take that as information. And then when they're hot and they're in that messy moment, you're like, boom, here are your two choices. What do you want to do? And you know what those two choices are because you've been watching them like they're lab rats and you've been seeing what they gravitate towards. And every child is different. It's not one size fits all. That's why I try to teach in this podcast to look at the whole child and what works for them versus this is the way and the only way. There is no perfect road. This is trial and error and 10,000 hours of practice. And I would say even beyond to teach this skill. Think about how you teach them how to do the laundry. You teach it ages and stages. You're not going to teach a one-year-old how to push all the buttons and load it and add the bleach. No, 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 no. But a 12-year-old, you teach it on an age-appropriate level. So when you think as your child as teaching them emotional literacy as another skill, think about one of those skills that I used as an example and then apply it to teaching emotional literacy and your life will be so much happier and lots more harmony, but never, ever perfection. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt resonating moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.